All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Making the Argument. This is the good Hamilton here with the rest of the team, Nick, Tina, and Christian. But today we do have a new host joining the show who I'll introduce to you in just a second. I'd like to take a minute to tell you some of the story behind Making the Argument and how the show is doing. With this new addition to the show, Team Freitas is growing, which is huge news. In 2020, we launched Making the Argument because we were frustrated with the various social media platforms at the time and our inability to discuss the issues in great depth. We took a brief break between November 2020 and January 2021 and relaunched the podcast. Since the show's inception, we've published over 200 episodes. This episode is number 211, but episode 65 of season two. In April of this year, Nick decided that he was tired of talking to himself for two hours a week and invited Tina and Christian and myself on the show. But listen, Nick's greatest fears were proven correct, though, that maybe, in fact, he was boring to listen to because since adding more hosts, the show has consistently grown month over month for six months. While the show continues to grow and more folks like yourself join us on Making the Argument on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's imperative to me that we are hyper-focused on serving you, our listener. You voluntarily decide to spend two hours of your week with us, and that is an incredible honor when you could spend your time doing so many other things. The bottom line is we are growing. Since January, our podcast listeners have rapidly increased. Nick's Instagram has gone from 19,000 to over 270,000. Our YouTube channel has gone from 6,000 subscribers to over 120,000. And we are grateful to you. But with that growth means we need to bring on some other people and we only wanted the best for our audience. This is why I'm very proud to introduce to you the new producer of Making the Argument, a podcasting veteran and co-host of the show as well, Lydia Leiderman, also known as Sour Patch Lids. We are also very excited about this. Now, I want everyone to understand that um, we still care for Hamilton, and that's why we're taking him <laughs> to a farm where he can run free. That's what we're, we're, we're like. No. I'm just excited not to be the only female. Yes. That's <laughs> How nice, dare right? you assume that you were the only female? <laughs> Have you true. asked Lydia yet? Which, oh, I'm sorry. What <laughs> are your pronouns? <laughs> just the normal ones. You don't need to change anything for me. I'm always she, her. I always will be. I'm a lady. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be joining making the argument i'm not replacing hamilton as such i'm just taking some of the load off him and i'm really stoked to be helping with that i remember when nick first came to uh hang out on timcast irl we had such a great conversation before the show 
we really got into a lot of the philosophical stuff, a lot of the underpinnings and cultural stuff that I personally love that I, I always kind of felt like we didn't really get deeply enough into on Timcast IRL. But this is all the stuff that they talk about over there. Those are the symptoms of these cultural issues that Nick and I were talking about before the show. So I'm excited to do that over here with them. Well, we had we had a great time on on Timcast. We've been on there two times now, and it's 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 honestly a blast. It is, and it's also really impressive to watch the 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 operation that I mean he has over there, and that, I mean that is three hours of live. Uh, yeah, there's no going back fun. and edit that. When it's said yeah. on Timcast, dude, it is out there. Yeah, the we ether. did three hours of live uh, on election night. That's and it was exhausting oh yeah they it's do it every intense, yeah so no it's t- fun though it's fun you know tim and you got i mean just it's such it's such a great program over there and then we when we you know obviously when you and you know doing some of your own things we, we kind of called up almost like bashfully like hey uh lydia like um i don't know maybe if you could find some time to do two podcasts a yeah month. <laughs> oh my gosh when you guys called me and andy we were very excited because andy was going to help you at first with the site and i remember he ended up and he ended up somewhere else but he found you somebody to work on yep. that with you oh, i don't know if you guys want to discuss the site or anything at this point not so quite yet that's coming want to. that's fine well andy was originally going to work with you guys and then i was like oh you guys are doing a podcast too that's awesome because i kind of so i feel like i don't have ex- as much experience producing a podcast per se because i do live streams and i'm sure. keeping keeping in practice doing live streams on my own channel but i'm really excited to learn all the skills from actual podcast producing so i'm stoked well, it's 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 exciting too because yeah, the, everything that we were discussing with Andy with respect to where we want to go in the future and the growth and I mean his capabilities, and and again the things he was able to do for for Tim over there is I that sort of skill set is going to be something that more and more people that if if you want to actually say I mean you want to discuss some of the things that we're about to discuss on this show because today we're going to go in we're going to go into the whole question of kind of like family what makes for good family relationships what makes for toxic family relationships because obviously all of us during the holidays are probably going to be spending more time with our families and our extended families than we typically do throughout the year and when you talk about some of these issues now, there's there's things that will get you canceled. There's things that will get you pretty much you know completely blocked and eliminated from social media. And more and more, we have people that have recognized that, look, if this is either your source of income or a portion of your source of income, and you're not protecting yourself from being able to get canceled, you're in a lot of trouble. And, and Andy is, yeah, again, Andy's doing yeoman's work over there and making sure that more and more people are going to be able to have the sort of conversations that we want to have, that we need to have. Um, and not get canceled overnight for it. And yeah. we've experienced that. We we had one platform where we were up to 200,000 followers. We had gained 100,000 in a month. Yep. We were growing rapidly. Millions of views per video. Millions of views per video. And then all of a sudden, somebody, one popular person on that platform decided they didn't like what we had to say. And within two weeks, we were gone. One video about masks, actually. Yeah, we, mask mask got us completely. And, and here's the thing. I was talking about masks, right? As a state legislator talking to people about what was going on in the state legislature around masks. But because it wasn't the straight party line, I mean, that was strike one. And at that point we went from, you know, again, gaining hundreds of thousands of followers and, you know, millions of views per episode to like throttled nothing. And then we talked about one other issue. And then completely shut down. Yeah. One other issue that was, and we had to build back up to about 90,000 on that platform. But so, Yeah, it's it's been fun. But anyways, the work that you guys are doing both as a as a team is is pretty incredible. But I, I do want to go into some of that that initial conversation that we had uh, when we when we showed up to go 
you know, be on Tim cast. And I mean, it wasn't even the topic of the day. Like at that point, Tim had invited us on because, um, we were, there was two things. There, there had been a speech that kind of went viral on the house floor. We were talking about education and kind of responding to Don Scott and who's the, uh, house, uh, leader for the Democrats. And, and then there was also talking about Ukraine and my background was in unconventional warfare, counterinsurgency. And we'd actually put out a Wyman talking about, and, and I, I got to give, I mean, I got to give Christian a ton of credit here because that whole conversation started off with looking at the history of what had been going on in Ukraine. And then, so he, he took this historical, uh, context and his knowledge of, of military history. And, and I took kind of my experience with an unconventional warfare counterinsurgency and we did this whole thing on, okay, well, one of two things is going to happen. And if you go back and you watch that, I'm actually really proud of the work we did because it's, it's kind of working out exactly the way we said it would work we out. We did predict a lot, didn't we, we? We predicted quite a bit on that with respect to how the insurgency might work. But anyways, that was why we originally, but Hamilton and I come in and we're, and we're, we're a little starstruck, right? We're, we're over at Tim cast and, and you know, here's sour patch lids coming down to talk to us and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is kind of cool. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden we start talking about like Jordan Peterson and the idea of masculinity and femininity and you know, what makes for strong relationships, what makes for strong families. And so both of us kind of understood right off the bat that while there, there is a huge need within, you know, conservative or libertarian content to be able to provide like up to date analysis on what's going on, like in the news cycle, like, you have to have that because if the only place you're able to get your news is going to be CNN or MSNBC, well, obviously you're going to get a particular version of what's going on in the world. And, and when you, pr when you misdiagnose the problem, you end up with really crappy solutions. And, and that's what I see in a lot of analysis of the news right now. But there was also the, there's also this need to be able to not only kind of do a once over the world of what's going on and why, but also a, a deeper dive into, okay, but why is it that way? Like, why are we seeing things that we, we can all say that, yeah, we think it's crazy when progressives come out and say, hey, you know, what we really need in our elementary schools is more discussions about sex and queer theory. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us look at that and say, that's absurd. Like, you're not serious, right? And then you find out that not only are they serious, but they've already been doing it without your knowledge. And then we get into situations. I actually saw an article today in, in Fox where a, a high school punished a female volleyball player, punished a female volleyball player because she didn't want to get undressed in front of a male in the locker room, right? She got punished. So most of us look at this and we're like, this is absurd. And, and if we're only allowed to do top level analysis, then what we say is this is absurd. This is what's going on and we need to do something about it. That's not enough though. And so what we like to do on making the argument is we say, okay, yeah, we think it's absurd, but we've got a lot of people that in a lot of other areas of life are not, they're not ridiculous. They're not stupid. They're not uninformed or unintelligent. And yet they're buying into this. Why? And that's what we dig into on in making the argument is going beyond kind of the, the, that top level news analysis, which is necessary, but really trying to get into the philosophy and understand why is this taking place? And so I, I do all of that to lead into, I, I, this came up and, um, I think Lydia, I think you sent it over to us as, Hey, this is something we probably want to, we want to talk about because like I said, we're all about to, kids are coming home from college for the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Um, you know, you're going to see extended family members. And this popped out to me as probably the most perverse demonstration 
of, of what we're seeing on, on kind of this sometimes cross-generational talk or really in, within a family. So do we want to watch the video on that or, or, or I can read it off? No, we can watch okay, it. Okay, we're going to watch the video. And, and this comes from, this was a, a funeral. This was a young girl speaking at a funeral about her father. So let's go ahead and listen in. Okay, so I can't believe I'm that people who, are clapping. Who at actually clapped? I'll tell you exactly that was what a, happened. That was here. a 19 year old girl, a 19 year old girl named Saga, who describes themselves, because they go by they, them, as a black supremacist on TikTok. This person probably went and gathered around them, like, like oh, I'm going to go to this funeral and I'm going to do something really brave. Who's coming with me? Because I really need some moral support. And that's probably who clapped right In there. In 40 years, she's going to regret saying oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, so much. I don't know. I don't no? know. I, I hope that's the case, but I don't that's know that. I said. Yeah. I, 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 I like, don't I know that. She ends up regretting it. The um, level of hate. The level of hate, this is what gets me is you have the hate has no home here crowd. <laughs> and I mean, as soon as I see that sign, as soon as I see the bumper sticker or whatever, I know that whatever attitude this person is going to have is probably going to be the most hateful I've encountered that week. When be you were like knocking it's doors just, it was, yeah, when I was knocking doors and things like that, it was, it was insane to me that they would say hate has no home here, but they literally live in a state of hate their yeah. whole existence. The most unhappy people I've ever seen in my well, life. The reason that they have a hate not, um, a hate has no home here sign is because they take it on the road with them. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, it I doesn't live here, it travels. <laughs> I, I remember yeah. also joking once that if you see one of these signs in your neighborhood, your rent is about to go up 300%. Yeah, um, that's fair. Like, I, the, I mean, we could talk all day about like the hypocrisy because I think we all know this. And, and I also think that our audience knows that, that some of these people have some really, I mean, they, they, they just need to look in the mirror, right? But what, what blows my mind isn't that there's people that are irrational like that because there's irrational people in politics. We all know that there's irrational people outside of politics. What blows my mind is that there were people in that room that were willing to clap her saying that because yeah. there's deranged people that will say deranged things all day long. But for the bystanders in the room to applaud that is I think in some ways more dangerous than and, and more disturbing 
than even the words that were coming out of her mouth. I, I think, I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of people in that audience. There was very few, and you heard people with like gasps. So I, I don't, I don't think most of the people there approved of what she was saying. And, and, and again, to give some context here, it, it, this is more from the article saga whose preferred pronouns are they, them has a TikTok account full of videos speaking on the 19 year olds perceived issues with cis men decrying racing, calling capitalism oppressive and discussing gender fluidity and more. And, and the thing that I go into is like, this is a 19 year old and she thanked her father for all of the, the stuff that he did for the family. So it's this idea that this wasn't a dad that skipped out to go get a pack of Marlboros and a gallon of milk and never came. Yeah. Home. Like thanks for the money and thanks for supporting me. Yeah. And now I'm going to hate on you and, for the and, next and, Teaching me and, t and and telling me to stand up for what you believe, like it's so. The the impression that's given, like I don't know, it could come out later that he was actually a horrible, abusive human being, but that doesn't seem to be the impression that she's giving. Because you would have thought that she would have mentioned that. But what what were his crimes? Well, her crime his crimes of being a cis straight white man and, and Trump loving. And then he said, you're racist, misogynistic, xenophobic. But I look at that, I'm like, okay, you haven't presented any evidence of that other than calling him a Trump loving cis straight white man. Well, and it's because. Those things automatically to them, infer that. If you to supported them. Trump, then then you're that though you are all of those things. Yeah. But right. you yeah. know what? Have you guys heard it said? Sorry, sorry have you have have you guys heard it has said that the right thinks the left is um like misled and the yeah. left thinks the right is evil? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're seeing right here. And it looks like she thinks that everything that her dad's identity is is completely wrong, which is a deep problem because like I said, I was talking about this the other day and I was like, you can't, there are things about you that you don't get a say on, say in. Your skin color is one of those things. Obviously, your the, your politics are going to connect to what you truly and deeply believe. You shouldn't change that stuff, I don't think. The fact that you're male, these are things that you cannot change and this is why they choose them so that they will always, I think, have this kind of enemy. Um, and I think Christian was right that the people in the audience who were kind of cheering for this, that it, this deeply proves this is a serious, like, systemic problem. This isn't just a passing issue. Um, this is something that people are uh, kind of holding on to and using to replace, I believe. I believe, personally, this is just my my perspective that they're using this to replace religion yes um because it has a lot of the same tenets and absolutely no redemption which is really interesting no i, I think that's a it a does quick, have quick, a redemption though because the redemption is admitting your white guilt in in paying atonement but even that's for not it. but even it that matter. is it's a perverse work, yeah. it's a perverse form of redemption because but, if, if you look at if and this is interesting because i think lydia brings up an, an important point here when you look at the concept of like critical race theory or queer theory, and then you go back to critical theory, right? We've, we've discussed this in length before on this, on this podcast, critical theory out of the Frankfurt Frankfurt school was heavily influenced by Marxism, but there was this whole idea. It was also, there was both critics and proponents of postmodernism and deconstructionism within the critical school. But what was important is, is that at that, the, the original concept within critical theory was very focused on the idea of economic class. And to Lydia's point, your economic class can change. You, you have some degree, depending on the circumstances or the environment that you're in, you either have a lot of control over that or very little control of it. Interestingly enough, the more socialist or centrally planned your economy is, the less control you have over your economic situation. The more free the economy is, the more control you have over it. But here was the problem. They were pushing a, a socialist and a Marxist mindset as the solution to what they saw as the key component of your identity, and that was your economic status. Well, what actually happened? What played out in real life? 
Well, in the Soviet-controlled economies or the communist-controlled economies or even the socialist-controlled economies, the laborer did worse. The person that they were supposed to be advocating on behalf of actually did worse than in the capitalist or free market economies where they had more control over their individual economic decisions. And so that ends up being a huge refutation of their academic premise. But now if I shift that and I say, no, 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 it's not economic status, it's race or it's gender. Well, now we're, we're talking about immutable characteristics that I can't necessarily change and, and, if, and if I buy into this notion that I am automatically a part of an oppressed class because of systematic racism that is built in, that is just built into the mix of all of the structures, well, I couldn't take down free market economics based off of the economic argument because free market economics did a better job. But now if I try to take it down either through the environment or I try to take it down through race or I try to take it down through sex, you know, by that I mean gender, well, now we're talking about a characteristic that that's a little bit that's a little bit more difficult to contend with within society because now we're not allowed to operate on a level plane on a level playing field. I'm not allowed to have certain opinions of this because of my race within their theory. They're they're creating these unfalsifiable claims, and that's why I think going back to the whole replacing it with religion or, or replacing religion and saying you're not created in the image of God, you're not special because you're beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God right? Your identity comes from your race or your sex or your economic class. That's where your identity comes from. And if you want to be a part of this group, which will give you limited atonement, right? You had better not be a heretic. The moment you engage in heresy, you're worse than an infidel because now you're a heretic. Well, there's this ideology that that's being pushed, but, but on, a, on an even more disturbing le level because this can this ide idea could exist out there and not really be a big problem. It could be an academic discussion or whatever. But what we're seeing is these young people who appear to be brainwashed. And I I'm going to say something that probably wouldn't be like you're all going to look at me, especially Christian, and be like, Whoa, don't say that. <laughs> this really reminds me of the Hitler Youth and the League of German, uh, German Girls. Ah, uh, you it shouldn't does. have said that. Um, uh, because it's true? Because it's accurate? I mean, it is. I What I think is, is that Jordan Peterson talks about mm -hmm. how, like, you can tell when somebody has an idea that is not of their own. And and he refers to that as, as basically that you've been consumed by an ideology. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious that you can tell when that's the case because you're speaking to somebody and all that they're doing is just, is just parroting yeah. stuff that other people have written about. And in many cases, they 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 don't understand the implications of of what it is that they're parroting. Now, some of them do, but I, I don't necessarily think that this 19-year-old girl necessarily understands the implications of what she was saying, in large part because, I mean, when I was 19 – it wasn't that long ago when I was 19. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> I well, was, I mean, I was pretty dumb on it. it with, but culturally, with to many it's things. like taking over every aspect of culture. It you're, is. You're seeing it in the media. You're seeing it in academia. You're seeing it in um, grammar school. You're, you're even seeing it all over um, Hollywood and and everywhere else. Everyone is reinforcing the same talking points and. The, and and if you go against it, if if you commit the sin of going against it, you're canceled. And if you apologize for it, 
which that's the problem is the minute you apologize for it, you're admitting guilt and you're even more canceled until you can like accumulate enough points again to well, show is, that you're. This is why this is part of the reason to, to, to that point. It's the whole idea. Like there is no offer of redemption within this. All there is is less guilt. Yeah, because you can go around parroting exactly what they all believe. Yeah. They will dig through your social media 15 years back and find where you accidentally weren't on the right page with their talking points. And now you're canceled for something you did 15, 20 years ago. Well, it's also the perverse incentive structure within the whole concept of intersectionality. So again, for anybody that's not familiar with intersectionality, it, there, there's a like anything else, there's an element of truth within intersectional thought. And, and the concept is, is that, Okay, if if I may if I may black person living in um you know Jim Crow era United States, right? I, I am that's gonna be bad for me. But if I may if I may black woman living in that area, it's actually going to be worse. Right. So so the idea is is with an intersection is that there's different there's different lines where people have been discriminated against or they have been um They've been harmed as a result of different features. That feature could be race. That feature could be religion. That feature could be um, gender. That feature, you know, any one of those things. And so that's the part of intersectionality that I think most of us can look at and say, no, we understand how that works. The problem is, is that when you then treat victimhood almost like it's a virtue as opposed to something that should be overcome both societally but also you as an individual, then all of a sudden it becomes this weird competition. And when there's, when there's no way, when all of a sudden the, the oppressors are people that you're an oppressor by virtue of your race, you're an oppressor by virtue of your sex. Well, how do you, how are you supposed to escape that? If these are immutable characteristics and you, you had, you had nothing to do with, with creating the sort of oppression that they're talking about, how do you escape it? Well, the one thing that you can escape it, it is by changing the nature of your identity. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm a white male, but I'm trans. Or I'm I'm actually you know uh, I'm I'm gay or whatever it is like there's ways that now there's a lot of people look back and be like oh you really think people would do that just to escape the pressure associated with that twenty years ago no today absolutely yeah. absolutely and the numbers bear it out because you can go to the most liberal progressive areas and go into the local high schools go into the local middle schools and you are now all of a seeing what used to be like 0.4% of the population is 20% of that classroom. It's more than that now, especially with certain demographics. You're seeing this, especially among women, young women, because they're mm -hmm. being Girls, told yeah. that, you know, they're oppressors, especially if they're white. Yeah. And so what's the only way for you to escape that oppressor class is you take on an identity that is itself an oppressed identity. Yeah. And th this is why I, I think in large part, you're seeing this explosion of, also adding on, it used to be the acronym, you know, for for a very long time was just LGBT and that was it. Yeah. And notice how now you've strung on like 20 something new characters to the end of it because they keep needing to add another character to the identity in order to enlarge the identity. So that way more people can identify with yeah. the identity because the identity is a, a oppressed identity. And if you are part of a demographic group that is an oppressor group, the only way that you can escape that status of being an oppressor is if you cling on to an identity that that is is under critical theory identified as an oppressive um, yeah. or, or oppressed group. I, I, I think- Well, that, I mean, the LBG portion of that has actually expanded as well. 
You yes, know? but but what what I'm saying is is that that in large part the reason why that they're stringing on so many more characters to it is because they're they have to make a larger umbrella out for yeah. for you to escape your status as an oppressor. Wait, wait. Well, you're, you're either you're either within that community or you're outside that community because even being an ally of the community is not sufficient. You're still complicit. That's simply sufficient for you to not be lumped in with yeah. uh, this this girl's poor dead father who is now considered the scum of the earth in her eyes because of his identity and and his his political views and how much would have bet his political views simply consisted of he voted for trump in 2016 <laughs> probably yeah. you know it's interesting i've been to i went to one funeral before <clears throat> where uh so my dad was a liver transplant recipient and it was it was a a really unique situation because he would have died on the list because the list is just so long. But someone in the community, um, their son had been shot and they saw a letter that we had at one of the local stores. And she, on her way to the hospital to say goodbye her, to her son, stopped and got the letter that I wrote for my dad um, for help and said, I have a liver for this guy. And we, of course, all thought there's no way that this liver is ever going to be a match or anything like that. And uh, And it ended up being a match. And he got this person's liver. Well, the man up until that point had, had, had lived a life that, that like the family wasn't really happy about, you know? And so when we went to, uh, his funeral, you know, basically to show our show that we were grateful to the family for the sacrifice that, that he made for my father. Um, I was, it was just, devastating to see how many people got up. I One gal got up and read a poem about basically how wasted this man's life was. Hmm. And it was, it was so negative. And it was interesting because my grandma got up and uh, requested to say a few words, which in my family, when my grandma does that, we go, <laughs> okay, I don't know, how's this gonna go? Because um, she's very blunt. Um, but she got up and she said the best thing she could have said. And, and she talked about the final gift that he gave was the gift of life to my father. And I got 10 more years with my dad because of this man. Mm. And, um, I remember at the time thinking, how could someone show up to a funeral and talk about all the negative things about a person? And this was negative stuff that the, the man actually did. You know, it was, it was tangible. Everybody knew was true. And, but in this situation with this girl, just his very association with his, his political affiliation was enough to just call him the most vile things he could be called and, and spew the, the biggest hate a, a daughter could ever spew. Well, I, I think what was interesting too, there was, you know, before you get upset with this, you know, you're, you're, you discounted the death of entire communities with your ideology. Like, do you really think that's true? Do you really think that's true that he did? Well, if, if you've, if you've convinced yourself that just being a Republican is paramount to that, well, then it, it's easy to make that sort of association. And, and the other thing that she said that I thought was really interesting was when she, she I dreamed that you might one day you know, see it from my perspective. That's another thing that I see being used a lot. It's this idea is like, why can't you see it from my perspective? And I remember one time I looked at my like, what makes you think I don't? Hmm. Like, here's what I don't understand is that first of all, why do you assume that your perspective on this particular issue is somehow more valuable than my perspective? And secondly, 
Why do you assume that I can't empathize with your perspective while at the same time disagreeing with it? But that's not acceptable. If, if, if you've seen it through my perspective, you must believe what I believe. And if you don't, then you don't understand my perspective. That's because diversity of thought is not the type of diversity they want. No, well, and again, it's, it's an unfalsifiable claim. It's worse than that. It, it's unfalsifiable. And then the, but the moment you try to throw it back and say, okay, well, does, is that, does that equally apply to me? The answer is no, because you haven't come to the same conclusion. Which is, again, another unfalsifiable claim. But the same person who complains about how you don't see things from their perspective, they don't see things from your perspective. And I I really want to to actually dig into what you just said about how what makes you think that your perspective is inherently more valuable than my perspective? Because one of the the most nefarious things that I don't think many people have – I, I think a lot of people who haven't yet, you know, been consumed by this ideology understand this implicitly, but they don't necessarily know how to articulate it, is that critical theory, in, in particular, like critical race theory, but even beyond that, any of these, these quasi-Marxist theories that place emphasis on identity over all else, they do three things. They charge an entire demographic group with a collective crime. They then use that charge in order to frame individuals that are within that demographic group um, group as perpetrators of that crime. And then they use that charge in order to try to strip individuals within that demographic group of rights, dignity, equality before the law, any of the liberal values that the Western world has basically been built around. Remember when I um uh, this was many episodes ago. Remember when I brought up um I think it was Wesley Yang's whole theory of the successor ideology. Yes, it is this idea that, um, and I also remember near the beginning of this podcast, um, or, or uh, of of this season of this podcast, I brought up um Andrew Sullivan's uh essay from 2018 about America's new religions. Yeah, and he wrote a lot of things in there that if you're politically oriented, you are probably going to disagree with at least half of what he said because he was not kind to the right as well. Yeah. But he he wrote you could tell though that he wrote this for the left, even though he used it as an opportunity to attack cultish impulses on the right as well. I, w- what I've noticed is is that these people like this girl want to tear down the very world that gave her the ability to say what she's saying, mm-hmm. right? She's using her freedom of speech and God bless her for using her freedom of speech, but she's using her freedom of speech to tear down the very institutions and the very ideology that says she has an inherent right to express herself, but she doesn't want other people to express themselves simply because of their identity. As I said earlier, c- critical theory wants to identify an entire group with a collective crime. First off, collective crimes is an illiberal, oh, yeah. it's a very fascist yeah. charge. You, you you look at what happened in the Soviet Union or Italy or Nazi Germany or Imperial Japan, oh, the idea of collective crimes, modern day North Korea, yeah. China, the idea of, of, of collectively charging an entire group of people is an inherently illiberal thing to do. But it wants to collectively charge an entire group of people with a crime, with a collective crime, and then use that charge in order to discredit people within that demographic group who might have done nothing other than simply exist. Yeah. And then use that charge to strip them, not just of, of positions within the public, you know, w- w- within the public forum, like shut them down from sides, censor them. But you're also seeing this through legislation, punish them. I mean, here's an example. What have Asian Americans done? What have they done to to 
uh, justify discriminating against them with college admissions. Mm-hmm. Have they done they've anything done well. to deserve that? Yeah, they've done they've well. Done they've well. succeeded. Yep. And, and so, the, so the charge, so the, the answer to your question is on, on any sort of moral or objective level, the answer is no. They've, do, they've done nothing except do very, very well until, until you recognize that what, what the progressive woke component will then say is, no, what they did was evil and here's what they did. They internalized the racism, misogyny that is within the system and they figured out how to use it in order to benefit themselves without actually combating or changing it. That's their argument. And, and again, the moment you say, okay, well, I don't know that that's necessarily what happened. Well, now you've internalized. We go right back to circular reasoning and unfalsifiable claims. Isn't debating right? with postmodernists great? Oh, the, the, moment, the, <laughs> so moment great. You, the moment you question their assertion, you're guilty of their accusation. This is why I enjoy the way that you do this debating, Nick. And you do well, this not just, especially— It's not me. I mean, this is a method of debating yeah. that like, we're all com- no, 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 no. committed I, to. What I, was, what I was trying to get at is that like the way that you tackle this stuff, and I think this is part of the reason that people are, listen to your podcast and watch your reels and watch your floor debates, because— you really, and, and I notice this especially on the theological side, but it also applies to politics too, is that this presuppositional approach that you take with debating, it works great when you're debating with atheists, but you know what? It also works great when you're debating with postmodernists or adherence to critical theory or just leftists in general, because you start with with this, well, how do you know that what you're saying is true? Yeah, the epistemological. Right. Notice but- how the, the people on the left, they can't answer that. They, they, if you were to go to this 19-year-old girl and you say, how do you know that everything you just said is correct and that you're on the right side of history? She has absolutely no answer to that. In large part, A, because she's just regurgitating an ideology that is not one that she discovered. It's one that that basically has infected her. It, 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 it is a, as Elon called it, the woke mind virus, right? So she doesn't actually really understand what she's saying in large part because she's She's young, and it's an ideology. Again, I, I, as I described it, it it's it's in, it's an infectious ideology. It's not one that you've discovered. And B, she can't refute what you're saying because of the inherent contradictions within critical theory and within postmodernist thought. If there is no such thing as is absolute true knowledge um, that is true, whether or not you'd like to believe it, or true whether or not a majority votes for it, then how can you make any of the claims that she made? Well, Nick, I, w- <clears throat> I want to ask you this. I think it's very likely that one of our listeners would go to Thanksgiving next week and, and find themselves with a family member that just came home from college using, using this circular reasoning. Yeah. How do you think our listeners or us should approach a conversation like that with someone who's making these types of arguments? So one thing that I, I found that is really difficult to be able to do this within a family setting is that typically you have kind of the most outspoken people on either side of the spectrum battling it out with one another in front of everybody else. And everyone else is just uncomfortable. They wish they would both shut up. Yeah. Um, that, that ends up being the problem. And, and here's the other problem. It, usually the person who is most on, on the left that wants to start talking about it will fire up the person that's most on the right and neither one of them are necessarily in it. Like both of them are actually guilty of, of engaging in a lot of logical fallacies. They're engaging in a lot of presuppositional problems. Both of them are. Now, we might say, yeah, but this person's actually right. Well, okay, let's say you're on the right, okay? You're, you're a conservative. Sure. And someone comes up to you and starts you know, 
Baiting you. Bait or, or demanding that you believe a certain way without being able to effectively explain it in a way that you can understand or appreciate. Are you going to like that? No. And guess what? Someone on the left doesn't like it. Right. When you're yelling at them or telling them that they're a moron, even if theoretically their ideas are moronic. Nobody nobody likes that. So the, qu- the question is, now we can all say, oh, but they do it to us all the time. Okay, do you want to replicate it? No. <laughs> like, it, does it work for them when they're talking to you? Probably not. And you see this all the time. You see it becomes this volley back and forth yes. where it's accusation, accusation, accusation. Yep. No one ever a- answers a question, or if they do a- answer a question, it's just followed up by another barrage of accusations. Well, it's, it's a breakdown and ad hominem attack, and a lot of times what you end up seeing, especially when it's someone that's younger talking to someone that's older, is the older person is relying on the fact that they paid for dinner and they have more experience. Mm-hmm. And the younger one is relying on the fact that they're the ones that are keenly involved in these sort of academic discussions on a way and a philosophical discussions that this other person is not. And quite frankly, if they were so smart and that really mattered, then maybe they could answer the accusations that are being thrown out. So uh, the first thing I want to caution everybody is don't automatically assume because they, you might think that they're, ultimately wrong philosophically or ultimately wrong economically or socially or politically, that that means you've made a good argument. If you haven't, then not only are you not helping that situation, you're actually reinforcing everything that college professor has told them about you. Mm-hmm. That, that you are, you are misogynist. I mean, look at what you're doing. You're actually picking on your young daughter, right? You see, so all of a sudden- well, And then all the other people at the dinner, because I've been there, I've been to this dinner yeah. before- <laughs> All the other people look at the ones who they know, like, I know you can offer a really good argument and I know you're the debater in the family. So don't take the bait. Just let it go. Just let it go. And so it's always the onus to just let it go seems to always be on the person on the right. Well, I I, I don't know why that is, but it's like. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. from personal experience, that is so true. Yeah, like just don't even engage them. We'll just we'll just tolerate this meal. We'll just have a nice meal and be quiet about that topic. Anything but that. But the problem is that just emboldens the other person, and they just keep it baiting, makes them and they just feel keep more justified in their position. Right. Yeah. And so, a better way to do this, and uh, Nick has displayed this many times at many a dinner, um, is just to listen, really, truly listen to what they say and try your best not to get angry about what they say and just try to find the flaw in their argument and ask yeah. them a question about that particular well, flaw. Just ask questions. Can I I'd point like, something I'd like to share though? a brief story here about a year and a half. Hey, ago. Hang on one second. Well, I want to hear the story. I, I, and I, I do too. But And this might actually get into what Hamilton's sure. about to say. I, I think that there's a lot of people listening, myself included, who when we go to Thanksgiving or Christmas or any sort of family gathering, there's no highbrow, high-minded conversation going on. There's no deep intellectual or philosophical discussion. It's all flashy, flashy personality-based. It's all like, like the debates that my family has are all about Trump and Biden, like, like in, and you're a groomer. If you support sure. Biden or you're an insurrectionist, if you support Trump, it, it, none of this philosophical stuff. And I think okay. there's a lot of people that, that the political well, we, debates that they're having around the, the I'm going to get, I'm going to get into that, but here's what's not here's, deep. I'm going to get into that. Here's they what are, they are around some of the tables I've been in. Here, here's what I'll say. Like, this is another problem that we have. And whenever we use the word philosophical, there's automatically this, this 
concept in our minds that what we have is Aristotle and, and Plato having a discussion. That's not accurate. Right. There's there's various levels of philosophical discourse. I mean, yeah, there's there's the fundamentals where we get into like epistemology. You're right. I have never been sitting at the dinner table with my family for Thanksgiving going, let's discuss the whole study of knowledge. How do you know? Which? Uh, yeah, you're right. That doesn't happen. Right. I pass the mashed potatoes, please. Like that doesn't. What are mashed potatoes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are the mashed potatoes even there if we fail to observe them? Right? OK, hold on. I'm going to get back to my hear, story. I want to hear Hamilton's story. So about a year and a half yeah. ago, two years ago, I was on vacation with my family, was heading back from North Carolina to Virginia and decided that I was going to stop by and see my aunt, who is my grandmother's sister. Now, this individual, a uh, lovely person, but very left-leaning. Very, She's a traditional Democrat, yeah. a blue dog Democrat. Um, and in this area of North Carolina, it was a very liberal, liberal area, I walk in, I had, I, out of respect for her, I walked in the house with a mask on because at this time I was not vaccinated and I knew that would be a problem for her. So out of respect for her, yeah. I wore the mask. And so she proceeded to ask me if I was vaccinated. And I said, no, I'm not vaccinated. Um, that's why I'm wearing the mask, out of respect for you. And, of course, she wasn't. So she went on and on about how, oh, it concerned her so much that her county was only 50% vaccinated. And she was concerned about going to Walmart and the grocery store. And I just sat there and took it. I didn't say anything. And I got back in the car and I was angry at myself because I could have just asked a few simple questions very respectfully, not in an argumentative way. And I was like, you know what? Nick would have told me to ask questions. And and I was frustrated with myself because just like you said, Tina, you know, we, we feel like we have to stay shut, like quiet. That we, mm -hmm. we you know, if we say anything, all, all, all hell's going to break loose. Right. Um, and I could have just asked her, I was like, well, you're vaccinated. Why are you still concerned to go to the grocery store? Yeah. Mm. Um, and where could that have led? And so I, I well, and now on the other side of that issue, we're all looking back going, yeah, all, all the people I know who've been vaccinated have, have, have had COVID exactly the same number of times yeah. as I have yeah. and got just as sick as I so did. I, and just to close on that, I just want to encourage everyone. I think there is a respectful way yes. to ask questions that are yes. not argumentative that could lead to a valuable conversation and also help make your point without going to battle. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, and, and again, there are appropriate times, right? It, if you can, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, when you got 15 people around the table, I think we're going to have like 22 people this year. Oh, 15 people, that doesn't need to be a conversation. That doesn't need to be like a, a sure, hotbed sure. for conversation all the time. That's it, a great it, time to catch up on things family is doing yeah. and, you know, what your it, sports It could be like four too. or five in the afternoon, though. Yeah. Family dinner, but, lunch is already over and you're talking to someone else. Well, and, and the other thing, the other thing that I've noticed, because I've, I've also been in situations where... <laughs> I've had family say, can you please talk to so-and-so? I'm like, well, yeah, if they would like to. I'm not going to force a conversation with someone that doesn't want to have that it. That is funny because, like, your family does do that. They're like, oh, can you talk to so-and-so? Like, as though they're going to listen to you more than someone else. Like, why would they listen to you? Well, and, and, and the, the question is, um, and, and usually they ask me that because they tend to like the way I talk about it. Um, and, and because I have watched a lot of relationships, especially between parents and, and their children, really go down a, a, a bad path, like a, a completely yeah. unconstructive path. I've seen path. it firsthand. Yeah, an unconstructive path where it just ends up being name-calling. And then all of a sudden what it is is it's all these red herring arguments, right? Red herring yeah. is when you're distracting. with It's when you're distracting from the main point into something that's ancillary but not directly connected. And so you, you, you will see things like that. 
And then it ends up almost being a power struggle, right? Like I'm your parent, right? Like you will not talk to me like this in in my house or something like that. Well, the the problem, again, from the parent's side or from just, you know, that's problematic because when you make it a power structure issue, you're actually feeding into what they've been taught within their university. Yeah, you're right. This is all about power structures. They got it. You don't. They shouldn't have it. You should because you're righteous and moral and noble. And they've just proved that this is all about power because they didn't actually explain why you were wrong. They basically just said, shut up. This is my house. That's not how I raised you. That's problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's probably part of the reason you're having the issue you're having. Yeah. Um, is because all their life it's been because I said so, and you didn't give them any kind of really strong reasoning or argument as to why you do believe what you believe. I also think to have a, 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 son or daughter come home from college and start making those arguments for, oh, we need to be using gender pronouns and everything. That That's like a shot in the chest to a parent who yeah. spent their life trying to build principles based off of maybe biblical values or something of that nature. And so when that student comes home and has obviously taken up to the left-leaning ideology that you find on college campuses, you don't know what to do at that point because you never expected it. Now, granted, I, I'm not a parent, so... Um, I, I, I'm convinced that in in certain college settings, there'll be this whole, okay, we're coming up on a vacation where you might go visit some family. Let's go ahead and discuss how you can start positive conversations yeah. with your family <laughs> about right. gender ideology yeah. and yeah. see if you could get them to come over to your side. Yeah. Like I feel like they think they're going into the mission field yeah. by going to Thanksgiving yeah. dinner yeah. with you. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Well, if this is a religion, then this is their battleground where they're going out and talking to their family members. And I think what you're talking about there, Tina, I think a lot of these family conversations are really... So I know that we were looking at an extreme case of this with the daughter at her father's funeral, but this is postmodernism. This is Marxist thinking chipping away at the family. This goes straight to the heart of our culture. This is something the Italian leader who was recently elected was talking about in her speech. She was saying they chip away at your family. They chip away at the core of who we are. This is a serious problem. This is something that she wants to look at and address. And I thought it was so interesting to hear an actual political leader say that because this is something that's really been troubling me for a long time. And I think that's exactly the case. I think a lot of what's happening here with the higher education and these kids coming home from school that mom and dad are paying for and telling them that they're terrible is just the most recent and most clear-cut example of this thinking trying to work its way into the nuclear family and dissolve a lot of those bonds because someone who's floating around atomized from their family is going to need the state a lot more than somebody who's comfortably ensconced with mom and dad and brothers and sisters who need them and who understand that their actual services to their family and you know to their community immediately around them not the federal not some huge higher federal level um, kind of like Nick's doing where he's going and and working at the local level as a politician and I think that that's I realized that the other day I was like this is the whole focus of this postmodernist thinking is to make people totally you make them super unique right you give them the LGBTQIAA plus whatever Canadians were talking about the other day two-spirit um identity so that they feel completely atomized and completely separated and then you tell them that they're victims so they're going to need some higher authority like the people who are telling them that everything's about power oh it turns out it actually is it's just the people who are looking for the power are coming from this mindset which you could broadly call the left at this point but i feel like any side would be susceptible to it if it were properly framed but right now it's the left where everyone's like 
you have to turn against each other and you're scrambling for this kind of hierarchy and this victimhood nonsense. And I really think that's what these conversations at Thanksgiving are kind of indicative of. And just to wrap, sorry, to get back no, to what you were saying, great. Nick, about how philosopher, we're not going to sit down and be like, you know, Aristotle and Plato. The whole concept of just asking the simple why, what about this, is very a very platonic ideal, right? Because you're asking them to get right to the heart of what they believe, which is something that it's possible has never been asked of them. Yeah. And would be a really, it's a good mental exercise for everyone, but I think especially for leftists. And I think that's, hopefully that's something we can help our families achieve without fighting and throwing mashed potatoes this Thanksgiving. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, unless that's <laughs> or, your tradition. Or, in our, <laughs> or in our case, sushi. Since yeah. we do no, sushi good. Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I love your well, sushi we, Thanksgiving. No, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point, um, especially the idea that look both like all sides are susceptible to this idea that oh yeah we need some sort of higher authority figure to come in and, and you know solve this and by higher authority I'm not talking about God I mean they're talking about right. usually some sort of political the state yeah, the state right, right? Um, but yeah to to that point um, you know there's this there's this quote it was kind of it was kind of made famous lately by Ted Lasso that that showed Ted Lasso on Apple TV where he said you know great I think show. They, yeah, they, they tried to uh, attribute it, I think, to um, Walt Whitman, but I don't know that Walt Whitman actually said it. It was the whole uh, be curious, not judgmental. Hmm. Now, I, I don't – this whole idea of don't be judgmental, it's like, okay, you have to use your judgment. The moment yeah, you say, don't, with that. The moment you say yeah. don't be judgmental, <laughs> you're, you're making a judgment call about being judgmental, right? Like, so it's like, – Only take a Sith deals in absolute. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I remember when he, I remember when that actually happened in Star Wars. I'm like, it's so stupid. He just dealt in an absolute. But anyway, yeah. but it's it's that whole idea of, um, but the be curious part, I completely agree with. Um, I, I have I have found that when I'm when I'm in an environment where, like, I just genuinely want to understand. Um, there's some really incredible conversations that can take place. And, and sometimes that, that takes a little like groundwork to actually lay down where it's like, look, most people that are talking to me already know where I, I stand on a variety of issues, but, but taking the time to look at someone and say, can you, I'm not sure I understand that, or at least I'm, I'm not sure I understand your perspective on that. Can, can you explain to me why you think that or, or why, or in fact, um, th this is interesting. Um, Nick Anderson actually told me about this. Nick Anderson, he's, he's um, our oldest daughter, Lily's boyfriend, and he's a counselor. And he goes, and, and I was talking to him about this, and he goes, you know, Nick, interestingly enough, a lot of times when we're dealing with kids and we're asking questions, we don't ask why. We will ask, what makes you think that? Or what led you to that conclusion? And I said, well, why do you do that? <laughs> and, and, and he goes, he goes, he goes, let me ask you two questions. I, I forget what the question was, but in one, he started with why. And the other, he started with what makes you say that? And what I found was, is that at the moment he said why I was defensive because it was almost like I, I was, I was being interrogated on why, and now I had to defend what my position was when he said, what made you think that, or, or what led you to this conclusion? All of a sudden, I was helping him understand where I was coming from and what was the yeah. evidence that I had used. And just that, that simple switch 
changed the dynamic of the conversation. I was like, wow, that's really insightful. That, oh, that's, I'm going to use that the next time you and I are I arguing. Like I'm gonna be like, <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah, okay. like, I'm, I'm going to say, what makes you think you can? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's, that might not be the right way to do that. Voice inflection matters. Obviously, tone yeah. matters. But it, but it was it was as simple as saying when when someone says something and being like, even 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 if you still use the term why, prefacing it with that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. Um, what 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 leads you to that conclusion? Like what what would you say influenced you to think that way, or what what sort of evidence compelled you on, on this? Because now you're going to open them up, and and this is you know there there was one theologian who used to say that you know when you ask questions you open up the person within their own presuppositions, and to the point that Christian was making, Lydia was making, Tina was making so much of this, I, I believe, and and this is something where I want to criticize the right, and and specifically. Christians. And I say this as a Christian who's on the right. Um, there, there are two ways to get someone to associate themselves with certain ideas. One is, is that they come to the conclusion and the belief through study and observation that they're true. The other is to create social conditions where there's rewards or punishment based off of how good a job you do, regurgitating what you've been taught. And one of the biggest problems that I have with a lot of modern education, uh, one of the biggest problems that I have with a lot of woke theory, one of the biggest problems I have with a lot of the way churches conduct their business is that it is not set up to actually guide someone through this path and understanding of arriving at something and believing it's the truth because they are now convicted of that. That like this is the truth because I see the evidence. I see the evidence both from a, a logical consistency standpoint, but I also see it in the way these things are lived out in practice and the results that they produce. You get someone to believe something because of those things, a combination of those two factors, you have someone that believes something. On the like other that. situation, what you have is a convenient social arrangement based off of reward and punishment for adherence. That is very different. And, and a lot of what I see, and we've talked about this before, what I see a lot of people doing is that they raise their kids with, these are our values because they're ours and because I'm the, the, the authority within the house. And so these, this is how we have taught you. This is what works. And the result is, is that what the kid understands is that when I follow these rules, I get rewarded. And when I go against these rules, I get punished. Well, now fast forward, they're in college. They're away from you. Your, your influence has waned significantly. And now the social structure and the authority figures are their peers within the university and their college professors that they respect and admire because, quite frankly, you've taught them to respect authority and their teachers. And so now they're in a, a totally new environment where these social rules are very, very different. And now they've, they've come to regurgitate that. Well, one of the things that they did pick up on is, hey, you got to stand for you got to stand for what you think is right. Well, if the new social structure that they're in is this is what's right, and I'm rewarded for adhering to it, and I'm punished for going away of it, but I can prove my loyalty to it to my peers and to my authorities by coming back and challenging you as my parent. Well, then now you've created what sort of incentive structure have you created within your own household? Yeah, so there's definitely a seed of truth in the whole, like the concept of the hierarchy of power that the left is constantly talking about. And it is true what you're just saying there, Nick, about if you teach your 
kid to respect someone for being in a position of authority, then you're kind of setting them up for failure because anytime they meet a new kind of authority, if you don't teach them to think independently for themselves, they're going to have a problem with that each time. Uh, but I want to circle back a little bit because you talked about the concept of asking people why they think the way they think. I love this. This is going to be super important going into Thanksgiving because one of the things we want to do with our conversations with these people in our family, so you know, you don't get to choose your family, like it or not. You do have to keep talking to Aunt Karen, even if she asks you really nosy questions or whatever. We want to stay on good terms with our family as much as possible. And I think that it is in our own best interest to maintain that measure of empathy where we actually want to know why people think what they think. Yes. I think that's really important. I think that's what's missing largely on social media because there's no interest in why someone else thinks what they think. All you see is to 240 characters of someone telling you you're wrong or you see it and you're like oh well they're wrong so i need to tell them what i think and there's no Um, empathy right exactly and i know that's kind of hard to get in text too so there's a couple different factors working against us when it comes to our family i think it really would be a good practice for us to go into it and this is actually something i'm going to try at our thanksgiving um celebration coming up here soon i just want to ask you know why do you feel like that way about vaccination Um, Can you point? The problem is that it quickly turns into like, well, look at the statistic and look at this study and studies, you know, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. So they can (laughs) really say whatever you want them to say for sure. Um, And I could probably come back with five different statistics that say what I wanted to say. But I think at the end of the day, if we close with the same empathy we open with, we can at least come away from it being like, all right, we don't agree. Um, but that's okay. And I, I talk about how when you get to the end of someone's life, you're not going to be like, oh, well, they never came around to my ideas about flat tax. Although <laughs> apparently, you know, once your dad is gone, you can still make these arguments. But if it's if you if you don't view this stuff as a religion, when yeah. someone dies, you're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, they never agreed with me about, you know, foreign policy or whatever. It's not that big a deal. I think we need to put it in perspective. We need to emphasize maybe to our kids, too, that this is not as big a deal as their peers are saying it is true. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think um, the other thing too, that I want to encourage people to do is that if if you really want to be able to, um, if you really want to be able to understand a different argument, my buddy Nate always tells me this. um, It was, it was listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. Yes. That is a challenge for everyone. It it, it is, but I I will tell you this. It's (laughs) when you make the decision, that, and, and that's what it is. It's a decision. It's a choice you make. I'm going into this conversation not because I want to change this person's mind, but because I want to truly understand where they're coming from. You alleviate yourself of the responsibility of having to win an argument, and now you get to just learn. Right. And here's what, here's what will end up happening almost automatically. Your arguments will become significantly better. Right. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Your arguments will become significantly better. And the end result is, is that first of all, at the very least, they really feel like, wow, this person listened to me. Yeah. This person wanted to understand my perspective. They respected my thoughts. Now, here's what's interesting. The moment they come back is almost inevitably this will happen. They'll ask you a question and you'll be like, that's interesting. I've kind of looked at it this way it's a lot harder for them to say, you just don't understand my perspective. Really? Because I just spent the last 45 minutes listening to nothing but your perspective and asking you questions. Yeah, and trying to understand it. Well, and and then that's the part where I like to look at someone and be like, wait a second, wait a second. For the last 30 minutes, all I did was ask you questions to try to understand where you're coming from. You now ask me a question. I'm trying to explain it. And now I feel like you're you're coming after. 
I mean, do you want to understand my perspective? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, now all of a sudden, if they start off. That, at that point, I'm just angry. I wasted all that time. Oh, see, <laughs> yeah. but it's not. That's the thing you got to remember. It is not a waste of time. It's even not. if someone is wrong, even if, even if you think that the perspective that they added to the conversation doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If the point is not to win an argument, but if the point is to actually convince somebody of what you believe to be true. Yeah. You can't do that most times without understanding their perspective. Right. right. And so what you're what you're really doing is you're laying the initial groundwork that is necessary for understanding what someone is is coming from. And I and I, I tell people this all the time, especially in Christian apologetics. I, I usually find a very, very thin intellectual veneer covering up a whole bunch of personal hurt. Yes. And so, and if you don't, if you don't uncover that, or you don't understand where that perspective's coming from, then the moment you give your counter perspective, they either feel like you are denying their experience or you're attacking them for that experience. And you don't want them to be, you don't want, that is not the mindset that you want them to be in when they're discussing. And, and by the way, I will add this one other point. The other part of listening with the intent of understanding is that sometimes you find out that the, even if the, even if the fundamental thing that you thought is still correct you end up learning that you might have been wrong about something, even if it was just their perspective Dangerous. or their intention. Yeah. And, and you need to be willing to, to admit when you're wrong. Yes. About oh my can God. I, can I bring up just one final little thing is one of the things I think is so important to this woke ideology and this thing being pushed by the left and, and what we're talking about here. One of the things really important to it in my experience is, um, they have to feel rejected by their family in order to feel enveloped by their new family. Mm. And the left likes to offer itself up as we are your family now. Oh, your family didn't love you enough to understand you. Well, we understand you and we're your family now. So um, sometimes at these Thanksgiving dinners, okay, um, you have that family member who has come home from college or whatever, and they have this new family of people who are like, oh, your family sucks. My family sucks too. Let's all be a family together. Um, if you don't suck, they can't go back and tell them that their family yeah. sucks. Like if they True. leave, they're still loving you. Oh, you, you have denied them that token to take back to, you know, offer up to their new family of, oh, I was so badly treated by my family. If you, if you don't give into it. So one of the things is, is if you look at this as there are a whole bunch of people on the other side who want to see this family broken, I refuse to let this family break. Yeah. And I will not break this family. I won't be the reason this broke. Yeah. And so if you can keep a level of gentleness and love with your family member, no matter how psychotic they act, because we've got some. Okay. I, I do want to say one thing yeah. before we wrap up here. The most fulfilling conversations with the people that may disagree with you are the ones that are 30 minutes, an hour long. And you've done exactly what Nick is talking about, asking questions, trying to understand their perspective. I remember having a roommate that lived in the Bronx for quite a while, grew up with Democrats all around him. All he ever knew was Democrats, never knew a Republican. Moved down to Virginia, he and I would have these conversations. He would go watch videos of Ben Shapiro online, come back and ask me questions. Uh, and I was very intentional about trying to figure out why he believed X or whatever it might be. Uh, and it was very fruitful. Now, he was willing, he was open to having that conversation of investigating further, and so that was helpful. Uh, but 
those really are the most fulfilling conversations with people that vehemently disagree with you. The ones where you understand more about why they came to that conclusion and vice versa. So Nick, I'm going to hand it back to you to wrap well, up. I'll put that. Cause I, I think, uh, I think Tina gets the award for most profound things said today. Oh, um, what? And, and no, no, that, that really, that really I'm not is. surprised. No, it, it really, it really is because, um, when, when you, if, if you believe what, you know, I, I think we all at this table believe, and that's the idea that your true identity comes from the fact that you're beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God, that your politics, that all this other stuff, they may be important, but they're, they're ancillary to that central core identity. And if you, if you remember that and you, you keep hold of that and you always remember that the other person that you're discussing is someone that is beautiful and valuable um, for that reason, and that, can, that can't be taken away from them. Yeah. They're beautiful and valuable yeah. for that reason. And you refuse because I do think, I think Tita hit on something that is really, really important here. It, it's, it's easier to reject family if you feel like the family has rejected you. Yes. And, if, and one of the key components of pulling someone away, not just from their family, but the whole worldview associated with that family, is giving them a sense, a feeling of victimization and rejection from their family so that they can be incorporated into this new family that will now provide them all the answers that they need, all the security, all the love, everything that they're supposed to get from that original family. So the first, stand, the first thing that you have to do is do your job as a family. So... Remember that these holiday season. Yeah. I know I'm going to fight to remember that as well. Thank you very much for joining us. If you Sour enjoyed, Patch Lids. If you enjoyed Woo. hearing Lydia on today's show or seeing her, we have two very fun episodes scheduled for next week. Yeah. And you will get awesome. to hear from her so much more. Well, and, and just to give you a little bit of sneak preview, the next week we're going into, we actually went out to our audience on volley and we said, okay, you're going to have these, uh, you're going to have these conversations throughout the holidays. What are the top questions you yeah. would like us to address so that you can feel adequately prepared Got to go quite into those a few conversations. answers. And if you would like to submit more answers, you can do so at the link in the description of this. So you this will episode. be able, as you are preparing for Thanksgiving, you will be able to put that on and listen to it and yeah. go through it and, and hear all these arguments. And then we're also going to have a special episode talking about some of our craziest, most exotic Thanksgiving <laughs> traditions to see if maybe it's something you would like to incorporate into your yeah. own. We are. Traditions. We do have a different publishing schedule next week. We do. We are publishing on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yep. Rather than Tuesday and Thursday, we thought, well, you know, maybe a lot of folks are going to be traveling on Tuesday and Wednesday, so we want to give you something to listen to in the car. And so that is a publishing schedule for next week. The week after that, we'll be back to the regular schedule. So it will all be there, planned, ready to go early on Wednesday. So again, you can listen during prep time. But until then, we'll see you next episode. And thank you for joining us. And a big thank you to our newest member of the team, big Lydia Sour Patch Lids herself. Thank you guys. All right. See you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.